Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. Good to see you here. Um, We are, if you have a Bible, open up to Matthew 8. That's where we're going to start today, Matthew 8. To lead us off, um, have you ever waited for something to drop in the marketplace, whether it be a new album, a new movie, a new phone? Uh, Some people camp out uh, through the night to, to be the first one to get something when it comes out. I remember in 1997, I had heard that George Lucas was writing uh, and beginning to film the brand new Star Wars prequel trilogy, 97. And that was 16 years since the last movie, I think. Um, And uh, what excitement, what excitement. 97, you hear this and it's like, when? When's this coming out? 1999, it was like, oh man, I have to wait two years Two years for Star Wars to drop. How, who went to that first uh, Star Wars? Everybody? Yeah, The Phantom Menace. Jar Jar Binks was a little bit of a letdown, wasn't it? Anyway, uh, we won't go there, but uh, sometimes, you know, we, we have things that we uh, just want to see come into the present. And for the Jewish people, they had been waiting thousands of years for the Messiah to come. And in this Gospel, Matthew, he is announcing to the nation of Israel, your Messiah has come. He has, it's, it's on the, he's on the field, and he's brought his kingdom with him. Matthew is suggesting that Jesus brought a total reorganization plan under new management. That God was bringing something, this long-awaited kingdom of God's rule and reign, that has arrived and that God's rescue operation is on the field. And so last week we looked at the Sermon on the Mount uh, as Jesus describes what kind of kingdom that he was bringing, unlike any other kingdom that had been known before then. And after concluding his great teaching about the kingdom, this next section, beginning in chapter 8, shows Jesus bringing the kingdom into the reality of day-to-day lives. So not only did he kind of teach about what kind of kingdom is he bringing, he, in beginning 8, Matthew lines up three sets of three stories, nine stories in total, of what it looks like when Jesus actually brought God's kingdom into reality. And so that's what we're going to dive in. We're going to cover a lot of ground today, so hopefully you guys came ready to dig in, and uh, we'll get going. I keep losing signal, so we'll just... Let you roll with it. Uh, so, all right, beginning in chapter 8. Uh, it's masterful. Uh, certain literary critics have uh, commented that Matthew is one of the most masterful books compiled because it has so much rhythm and so much um, structure to it that how Matthew rolls this out. And again, Matthew is trying his audience to his gospel. Why do we have four gospels? Well, they had different audiences. Matthew's audience was to the Jewish people. It wasn't necessarily to Gentiles or people that wasn't familiar with the Jewish story. It was specifically 
to the Jewish people. And he, time and time again, he says over and over and over, and he highlights what Jesus said. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it and to complete Israel's story. So uh, we have three stories. We have a story of a leper. We have a centurion servant. And then we have a sick mother. Awesome stuff. Hopefully you guys will read that this week. Then Matthew slides in this call of Jesus. So after the first three stories, we have this interesting drop-in from Matthew. Matthew 8, verse 18. It says, But now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, and this is what we're going to highlight, because it's going to say it over and over in this section in Matthew. Follow me. Follow me. And he goes on, he says, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Wow. Pretty strong words from Jesus. He drops in the story of Jesus calling people to himself, and he has this phrase, follow me. Not pray a prayer, not have all the right concepts about him, not intellectually assent to certain truths. He says, follow me. Now, for a devout Jew in Jesus' day, and even in our own, one of the most solemn and sacred parts of a Jewish person's morning routine would be to say the basic Jewish prayer, the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord our God is one. And it goes on, there's actually three paragraphs. But this, is a, this would be a normal routine for a devout Jew to say. Saying this prayer is regarded by official Jewish teaching as the most important thing to do each day. But there is one thing in Jewish culture that takes precedence over even saying this prayer. According to the rabbi's teaching, when a man's father dies, he has such a strong obligation to give him a proper burial that this comes first before everything else, even before saying, Hear, O Israel, prayer. So when Jesus found one of his followers saying that he had to go and organize his father's funeral, you'd expect him to say, well, of course, you've got to go do that, and then after you're done with that, then you can come follow me. What Jesus actually said is one of the most shocking things in the whole gospel story. Let the dead bury the dead, he said. You must follow me right now. Whatever else you were thinking of doing, this comes first. Follow me. Wow. Then Matthew moves on. He shares three more stories. We have a story of Jesus calming the storm on the sea. We have a demonized man, and then we have a paralyzed man. Great stories. Hopefully you read them this week. Then after this group of three, another pause to share another story. Matthew 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth the author of this book. And he said to him, what? Follow me. Follow me. 
And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees, these were the religious zealots, the religious people, saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Now, if you're familiar, tax collectors were Jewish people that were assigned by Rome to tax their own people. And a lot of times, uh, a tax collector could have carte blanche of how much he taxed his own people. So a lot of times, these tax collectors were very wealthy, were very well-to-do. And they got their wealth on the backs of the Jewish people. And they were the most despised people in their culture. Tax collectors and then throw in, sprinkle in some sinners. But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call, not call the righteous or those they think they have it all together. I came to call the sinners, those who know they are broken. Follow me. This theme over and over. Matthew is specifically putting these in this rhythm. And then uh, we have another three stories. Last three stories, we have a dead girl and a sick woman, two blind men and a mute man. Again, amazing stories, so hopefully you read them this week. Matthew 9, he ends this chapter by saying this. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming what? The gospel of salvation? The gospel of the kingdom. This is Jesus' gospel. It is the gospel. Healing every disease and every affliction. Again, the thrust of all of Matthew is that Jesus is bringing heaven to earth. It's how he asked us to pray. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. The gospel of the kingdom. Jesus is seeing that there's a crowd of people that are wandering, that are confused, that are hopeful, maybe expectant. But Jesus is saying they need a shepherd. They need a leader. They need someone that can come in and help define what God is doing around them. What God wants to do in and through them in bringing God's kingdom. And then in chapter 10, he actually sends out his 12 disciples who are going to do what Jesus himself had been doing. This is where I think a lot of times here in American Christian culture, this is where we begin to dissociate ourselves from Jesus. This is where we begin to kind of put Jesus and what happened in the scriptures into a separate category as like, oh man, that was sweet when that happened back then. But Jesus actually gives his disciples authority to do the exact same things he was doing. And what was he doing? He was healing the leper. He was healing a servant. He was healing a mother-in-law. 
praise the Lord. He was calming the stormy seas. He cast out a demon out of a man. He, he saw a paralyzed man from birth walk. And he gives that same authority to his disciples. Matthew 10, it says, Jesus went out, sent out the twelve apostles with these instructions, don't go to the Gentiles or the Samaritans, but only to the people of Israel, God's lost sheep. Now, why would he say that? Meaning, God's chosen people needed to be first to hear the gospel of the kingdom. They needed to be first. They had privilege that the Messiah had come, the long-awaited Messiah, prophesied through numerous prophets of Israel. The message was to go to them first. Jesus knew that it would eventually get to the Gentiles, but in this priority, it's the Jewish people. And he says, go and announce to them that the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom, like we said last week, the, there's interchangeable phrases, kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. A lot of times we think kingdom of heaven, we think, well, that's when we go to die. That's not, that's, it's actually the opposite of what Jesus is actually saying. Jesus is raising up and sending out kingdom agents to bring God's kingdom, restoration, healing, wholeness, to the earth and the lives of people, not holding up in some building, waiting for him to come back. And here Jesus teaches his disciples on how to announce the kingdom and what, they're, what they need to expect when they announce this gospel that Jesus came to bring. So Matthew moves on to show that there's basically three types of people that they're going to encounter as they're out sharing the gospel of the kingdom. Uh, the first one is that there's going to be positive response. Jesus gives some examples in uh, 10, 11, and 12 of some positive responses. Man, he's the Messiah. Man, he's got the words of life. Man, I see him as this fulfillment of Israel's prophecies of the Messiah, and this is him. Then there was a second camp. They were a little... Jesus didn't come in the way that they expected him to come. So they had a lot of questions, even John the Baptist. John the Baptist kind of sends uh, so, some of his disciples and asks Jesus, like, hey, are you, are you really it? Are you really the one? Even though John was the one that baptized Jesus and says, uh, one who has come that's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and fire. But he didn't think Jesus was going to come in this form. He was probably anticipating a little bit more violence, a little bit more push, a little bit more definitive action from Jesus. Members of Jesus' own family, Jesus is not what they expected. And then you have, a, obviously, a third response, the religious leaders. They had a lot to lose when Jesus stepped on the scene because he actually taught with authority, unlike the Pharisees and the rabbis of the day. He's not the Messiah. They actually accused him of being uh, possessed by demons, casting out other demons to kind of prove that he was somewhat powerful, but that is contradictory. But Jesus wasn't thrown by these diverse responses. In fact, he actually expects them. And he trains his disciples to say, hey, if they do the same thing to this message with me, they will do the same thing with this message to you. And he focuses on it. 
in this third block of teaching. Now, there's five blocks of teaching in Matthew, just to back up. Matthew is trying to rewrite the story of Israel. And he first compares Moses to Jesus, but then he goes on and there's five main sections in Matthew, almost as if he's rewriting the five books of the Torah. And the first block we talked last week, the Sermon on the Mount. The second block of teaching is what we just kind of covered. I skimmed through all that. You can read it yourselves this week, amen? And, uh, but it's just what to expect when you're out preaching the kingdom. But here in chapter 13, and this is where we're going to camp out. I moved this very fast. We're going to camp out in chapter 13. These parables in chapter 13, there's a handful of them. They are actually commentary on what you had just read in chapter 11 and 12. What you experienced, these varying responses to Jesus' kingdom message, he's actually sharing parables that illustrate what you just read. Okay? So for the rest of our time, chapter 13. Matthew 13, verse 1. Since that very day, Jesus went out to the house and sat down beside the sea. Large crowds gathered around him, so he got into a boat and sat down. The whole crowd was standing on the shore. Imagine this. Jesus is coming. He was going to first teach on the beach. It's kind of a nice place, nice scenic place. But everybody started coming in because they wanted, uh, wanted to hear. Now, a rabbi, when they taught in that day, they would sit down and the listeners would stand up. But there was too many people, and so he grabbed a boat, and then he went offshore, and then he preached and shares this parable from the boat. He said he had much to say to them, and he said it all in parables. Listen, he said, once there was a sower who went out to sow, sow seed. As he sowed, some fell on the path. The birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky soil where it didn't have much earth. It sprang up at once because it didn't have depth of soil. But when the sun was high, it got scorched, and it withered because it didn't have any root. Others, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it. Another seed fell on good soil and produced a crop some a hundred times over, some sixty, some thirty times over. If you've got ears, then listen. And then he gets, <laughs> he's, he's done. That's it. Okay. So when Jesus said, if you have ears, then hear, then that should alert us to the fact that, that what he meant to say was, I know this isn't obvious. You're going to have to think about it. Jesus wanted them to struggle with what he was saying, to talk amongst themselves about it, to think it through. Yes, Jesus was saying, what you've been longing for and praying is really coming true right before your eyes. I'm here to make that happen. It's going to be hard for you to understand, but it doesn't mean it isn't true. Stick with me. Listen to me. Figure it out. Come back for more. Follow me. Christianity isn't isn't a bunch of little cozy lessons to make you feel better about your life. It's about what God is doing in and through the world. What he's already done in Jesus 
and what he wants to do through us today. Through the message of the kingdom, God wants to open our eyes to see what he's doing. Jesus goes on. Matthew 13. His disciples came to him. Why are you speaking to them in parables, they asked. You have been given the gift, Jesus said, of knowing the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but they haven't been given it. Anyone who already has something will be given more, and they will have plenty, but anyone who has nothing, even what they have, will be taken away. That's why I speak to them in parables, so that they may look but not see, and hear but not understand or take in. Isaiah's prophecy is coming true in them. You will listen and listen, but won't understand. You will look and look, but not see. This people's heart has gone flabby and fat. Their ears are muffled and dull, so they won't be able to hear, see with their eyes, or hear with their ears, or know in their heart. And they won't turn again and be healed. But there's great news for your eyes. They can see. And for your ears, they can hear. I'm telling you the truth. Many prophets and holy people longed to see what you see and didn't see it. And to hear what you hear and didn't hear it. So why, they wondered, was Jesus telling Stories that people could only partly understand. Why wasn't he rousing the crowds to action, right? Everybody was waiting. The Messiah was going to come and conquer Rome. Why was he making them think and not even telling them the answers? You ever have a teacher like that? Man, those are the hardest teachers. I had a, I had a college professor that was like, uh, it was a history, anthropology class. And uh, you'd ask a question, he'd ask a question back. I'm like, man, you're not Jesus. Come on, answer the question. <laughs> Jesus would always reply with a question to make you think. And uh, it, was, it was one of the most obnoxious. Oh, gosh, it's just like, just say the answer. But I learned a lot in that class, amazingly enough. You can feel the frustration. Why is he speaking this way? Jesus pulls from a specific prophecy in Isaiah 6. This is what I want us to see today. Jesus pulls from a specific passage in Isaiah 6. It says the Israel, the Israel of Isaiah's day was wicked and hard-hearted. And though his message did indeed contain the promise of salvation, that promise could only come true on the other side of an awesome judgment on Israel. The great tree of Israel would have to come down before the new shoot from the stump could begin to grow. There would only be a stump left, but new life would be found in that stump. And what was that life? Isaiah said in Isaiah 6.13, he says, there's a holy seed. A holy seed. Jesus quotes the very passage in which the prophet promises that one day, many years from then, a new seed, a new shoot, would arise and bring mercy on the other side of judgment. That he does so in order to explain the reason for telling all these stories about what? Most of the parables in 13 are about seed. 
the tree must be cut down to its stump. Judgment must fall on God's unfaithful people before mercy can grow up instead. And hidden within this warning, there is a promise. Jesus himself will go ahead of his people and take the brunt of that judgment upon himself. Wow. Again, Matthew is trying to announce that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law, the completer of Israel's story. All of these parables that Jesus shares in 13 all resonate with the same tune. The kingdom of God is of utmost value, and it will not stop spreading no matter what obstacles. This seed, when sown into human lives, will produce fruit. It doesn't matter where that seed falls, that there's going to be people that resonate with Jesus' message of the kingdom. I myself grew up in church and I was quite familiar, I thought, with the gospel, with what the gospel was. It was very founded upon the first part of Romans and that's all where we camped out. And it was, the gospel is to be justified by faith. Hmm. Really? That's not what I find here. That is true. But I think that there's a grander scope of what Jesus came to bring, not just salvation and healing of souls, but to rescue a people, to redeem a people, to be just like he desired in the beginning. That he would have a people that would yield themselves, that would, that would live obedient lives under his masterful rule, and to become kingdom agents to expand God's kingdom with par- in partnership with him. We can't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own strength. But to see the kingdom spread to the ends of the earth. And I didn't really hear this message until, wow, well into college. Well into actually kind of coming back to the Lord and kind of serving him. But once I started seeing things about worldview and things about belief, you really start getting into What was the worldview of Jesus? What was the thing that he was actually coming to bring? It wasn't just this disembodied salvation experience when you die. And that's one of the reasons why I believe the church has become ostracized from influence in our nation. is because we grabbed on to this simple pray a prayer salvation so you can get your ticket to heaven. But we've lost this kingdom message of actually Jesus redeems us for a purpose. You are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do what? The good things he's prepared in advance for you to do. That there's actually a call on your life to partner with the God who created you to bring heaven to earth through your life. And that's why Jesus said, man, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus said, man, all the prophets and the law can be hung on these two commandments. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others in the same way. As we learn to love God, we receive his type of love. Unlike any other human connection you could ever experience, the love of God surpasses them all. And out of that experience of that love, because we can only love as we've been loved. 
We reproduce how we've been loved. So if we had an authority figure that, that was authoritative and demanding and mean, well, shoot, that's my model for how I love people. We need this new radical experience with Christ in his kingdom about being made whole in him. And then we can actually bring that through our life. And it's a journey. We're all in different places. We're all hopefully growing and coming to a greater understanding of who you are, who God is, and what he's called you to do. But this kingdom message has gotten shuffled so far under the carpet that when people actually think of Jesus, this message doesn't even come in the ballpark in their mind. It's the street preacher trying to yell at people into the kingdom. Talked to one guy years ago. He'd been doing it for years. How many people have come to know the Lord? Nobody. But I've been sowing that word, brother. Have you? How about you actually sow your life into other people? How about you actually spend time and invite people into your world to actually share? That's how the kingdom grows. Not by trying to convince people of certain truths, but when they see the love of Jesus shown through our life, Shown through like a humble heart that says, hey man, I'm still a mess too. But what I do know, God has set me free. I know him. Follow him. You want to follow him with me? This message of Jesus as gospel of the kingdom is so central to what he came to bring. That if we live our life without this centrality of the kingdom. It's what he said to seek first. What? The kingdom. But a lot of times we're busy seeking our own thing. Seeking our own needs to be met, our own desires, seeking our own plans, and then wanting God to kind of slap that approval sticker on top. Remember? You know, or not remember. Hopefully you don't remember. Hopefully you don't live like that. I remember. I remember. I remember praying all those prayers. Lord, this is what I want to have happen. God bless it. No. It's about me coming in to say, God, what are you doing? And how can I participate in what you're already doing in the midst around me? And open my eyes to see. And so that's my prayer. For us, that we would not be like the hard-hearted Israelites that would hear things and not listen and understand. Though, though we would see things but not really see them. And that our heart would understand. That's my prayer for us as a people. And my prayer is that as, as you kind of go through uh, this week, our kind of reading would be Matthew 8 through 13. Just kind of, just kind of giving you an overarching picture. But go back and begin to see this message of the kingdom, how central it was to Jesus' life and Jesus' message and what he was bringing. So the question is, are you following him? Not have you had this kind of experience as a kid, or you had a pretty cool youth group guy if you grew up in church, and he was awesome, and he kind of 
you know, one night really came over and loved on me when I was kind of down and depressed and kind of did what he said. But when he says, follow me, it's about, is your allegiance to him first? Follow me. Like Jesus said, let the dead bury their dead. This message of the kingdom needs to be responded to now. Are you following him? For me, I thought I had to have my stuff all together. Stuff and other things all together before I could kind of approach. I've never met a person that has met Jesus that way. Ever. It's that they actually see with reality, God, I'm broken. God, I'm addicted. God, I don't know what I'm called to do. God, I'm, I'm so far off the path. God, in a moment. And he just said, God, I just I want to follow you. I want to follow this person, Jesus. Not become religious. I want to follow Jesus. So the question is, have you done that? In your heart, if you ask Jesus, God, have I actually begun doing that? Is my allegiance actually to you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It's so rich. It's so powerful. Father, we thank you that, Lord, you call not the righteous or the arrogant, but God, you call people that know they need you. And so, Father God, if there's anyone here today that, God, no matter what mess they're in, no matter where they're, they've been at with you, maybe they've been angry at you, maybe they've just been like, I'm just going to rebel just because it feels so good, and it does. But you feel that season has to come to a close. You feel I cannot keep living with my own agenda, with my own way. God, I want to follow you. I don't really know what this means, but God, I'm taking my first step today. We want this place to be a place where you can explore and question, maybe even doubt, and come to a place where you see Jesus for who he truly is. And so I challenge you, if, if this is your first day to take that first step, I challenge you, you gotta tell somebody. Tell somebody, man, I'm beginning to follow Jesus. In this section, Jesus also says, anyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father. Anyone who denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. It's a strong statement. It's a strong statement, but Jesus was dead serious. He's not playing religious games. He's actually after your whole heart. That word acknowledge, it's a Greek word. It's two words brought together. It means together, united with Jesus. Together with the logos, with the word, with Jesus. Are you together with him?
And then I want us to do something a little extra. This is extra credit. I want you to think about someone that's really close to you that needs to hear this invitation of Jesus. Come follow me. They may have been hurt by the church. They may have been wounded by life. They've been, been beat down by life. The older you get, the more people you know that they just haven't escaped life. And this message could be the greatest news that they've ever heard. Not a religious message, but a message that says a God that sees you, a God that knows you, and a God that wants a relationship that paid the ultimate price for you to come into relationship with Him, to be restored and be made whole Will you follow Jesus with me? You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have it all together. In fact, that's why you need to follow him. I want you to pray for that one person right now. We just give you time, just in your own words, in your own way. Lord Jesus. Father, I pray that we would pray for you to set that person up. I pray that you would put a target on their back. God, in, a, in, a, in the most glorious way. Not in a way that's, that causes violence, but cause a wooing of their heart to come closer and to lean in. To say, I don't really understand everything about Jesus, but there's something about him. I want to know more about him. Father, I pray that you would put us in situations where, God, it's not forced, but, God, that you would open up the doors of communication. God, for us to be used in such a great way. Lord, as, as even your parable said, those who sowed the seed into good soil, there's a crop of a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. God, we're pulling for that hundredfold. God, we want fruit out of our lives. Not just a religious experience, but God, we want true fruit that would emanate out of our life. Because God, it's the one thing that we can do this side of heaven that we can't on the other is to see people, see them changed and transformed by the power of your gospel. So Lord, not only open our eyes to you, but help us to be agents of your kingdom around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.